Welcome listeners. Welcome listeners. You're listening to Deeds in the Desert. The place where real estate investors tune in for the latest news and available investments at Ignite Funding. If you're on the hunt for a low effort, passive income stream, then turn up that volume and pull out the hammock as we get ready to feed you your weekly dose of real estate investing insights. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Deeds in the Desert. Today we will be discussing underwriting and with me I have Pat Vasser. He is the Director of Underwriting here at Ignite Funding. He has 18 years of experience in real estate analysis. At Ignite Funding, he is responsible for identifying quality borrowing entities and the in-depth analysis and underwriting of all real estate assets before they are offered to investors. So a very key part in the operation here at Ignite Funding, and we are excited to have them here today. (laughs) So let's get started off here. Today, we're going to be going over one day's underwriting, common mistakes of underwriting. We're going to walk through the process of when you get a loan request and how do you and the underwriting department mitigate risk? We're going to go over loan to cost versus loan to value. And we're going to be talking about some current investments that Ignite Funding has right now. So let's get started. What is underwriting? Wow, just jumping right into yeah. it. Yeah. Well, underwriting in the most basic and generic terms is the evaluation of a project. Underwriting encompasses a whole slew of things, really. But at the end of the day, it's trying to mitigate risk when possible. Just like when you go buy a used car, you're you're trying to figure out what's wrong with that used car. Why is somebody trying to sell it? Why are they getting rid of it? What's wrong with it that you can't see from the outside looking in? We do the same thing when a real estate project comes to us. We look at it from the outside looking in by just giving getting the information from the borrower and then really dissect it. Uh, we okay. want to to believe what they say, but we also want to verify what they're saying. Uh, So underwriting is really just the whole encompassing of evaluating a potential investment, whether it's you going on it, your company going on it, or friends and family, which is, you know, a lot of what what I have here is friends and family, and obviously some investors across the world that I personally have never met, but uh, rely on us to facilitate good transactions. So you would say it's a little bit like investigating. No doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. When you investigate something, you go in with an idea of what happened and you need to figure out if that indeed is, is in fact the truth. Underwriting for our type of practice is basically the same way, right? A borrower call up and say, I need a million dollars for one, two, three Main Street. Can you give it to me? It's worth $5 million. I'm going to use the money to pay off the debt and to continue the rehab on the property. Well, a lot was just said there, right? And they need a million dollars, which we can figure out at the end. That's really the, the last thing that comes into play is how much we're gonna give them. They said the property's worth $5 million. We need to run the comps on that to see if that indeed is the case. They say they need to use some of the money to pay off existing debt, but we need to figure out how much debt is actually on the property, who it's by, when it matures, is it in good standing, who originated it, what are the terms associated with it? And then they said they needed to use some of the money for rehab. Well, what is rehab? What do they need to do? How much money needs to be uh, utilized to finish the project? And what is the timeline associated with it? 
So they'll give us a quick little sentence like that, or in most cases, a, a long paragraph. But at the end of the day, we take in what they say, and then we will investigate. We'll go investigate whether it's true, whether it's false, <laughs> whether whether you know there's some uh, ambiguity into really what they're in need of. Okay. So going along with that, could you walk us through the process of when you get a new loan request? Sure. You know, a lot of people ask us how we get our borrowers, how we get new loan requests. And at this point, you know, I've personally been here for about a decade now. The company's been around just as long. We now have a pretty good reputation around the industry that we tend to not use third-party brokers. So we don't go hire people to go out and find us deals. We actually do the sourcing ourselves. So most people around the communities in which we operate have my phone number, have the company's phone number, and will give us a call when deals arise. Most of what we do are repeat borrowers. Most of the projects in which we finance, we are now just evaluating or primarily evaluating the, the asset as opposed to the borrowers. We've worked with okay. them numerous times in the past. But new borrowers tend to come to us through referrals, people that I've known for years or people that our borrowers have worked with in the industry for many years. When they come to us, they'll ask like the question we just posed a few minutes ago of one, two, three Main Street. They'll come to us, come to us with a deal scenario in which they need financing and we'll do our quote unquote underwriting or the investigation as you like to call it as mm-hmm. to uh, whether or not it's a good project. And most importantly, if the risk to reward is a good value proposition for our company and our investors. Okay, let's talk about risk to reward for a second. Can you explain that a little bit? Absolutely. Every project, every investment, every type of obligation that you can go into has a risk and a reward to it. Some of them are known. Some of them are um, less risky than others. When you go and buy a 10-year treasury note from the government, you pretty much know it's guaranteed to be paid, right? That's about as close to risk-free as you can get. So the risk level on that is extremely low, but the reward is extremely low as well. You know, I don't know what date it is we're recording this podcast, but you know, the, the, the 10-year treasury, although it's high right now compared to where it's been over the past couple of decades, uh, it's not high when you look at the grand scheme of things. Um, so that risk to reward all depends on the project you're going to involved with. So right now we offer typically a 10% rate of return on our average investment to our investors. That is a pretty uh, standard rate for us. And so our job is to mitigate as much risk as possible to bring it down to the equivalent rate, a risk level as a 10-year treasury. If we were able to do that, which we're not, but if we were to bring it down to that same level, everyone would want to invest with us. It would be risk-free. It would be earning 10% rate of return. I mean, that's, that's uncalled. It's unheard of because it is unheard of. You can't get that. What we try to do is get as close to that as possible. So we try to remove as much risk associated with all of these deals as we possibly can. So the risk to reward is trying to lower risk while increasing the reward, i.e. the return on the investment. So going off of that, how do you and your underwriting team here, specifically at Ignite Funding, mitigate the risk for our investors? Wow. Um, That is done through a multitude of different steps. Uh, Some of those would include title insurance. 
Okay. They would include vetting the borrower themselves, making sure they have the ability and wherewithal to repay the debt. Uh, another way to do that is getting property insurance. That's another risk mitigation effort. Okay. Um, but at the end of the day, the most important risk mitigation tool we have is a, a different mentality than a typical bank. A typical bank would primarily spend about 90% of their time evaluating and underwriting the person. We do the exact opposite. We spend 90% of our time evaluating the property. The reason behind that is because at the end of the day, when we foreclose, we don't foreclose on the person, we foreclose on the property. On the property. Exactly. We want to make sure that property has a blanket of equity surrounding it. And when we foreclose, we're putting our investors in the same or better position than they were when they were just being a, a lender. Okay. So what common mistakes do you see when underwriting? I would say probably the biggest mistake is relying on information. Okay. Like I said before, we trust but verify. I'll believe what they're telling me until I don't have a reason to, but I'm going to find a reason not to believe them. Uh, I think a lot of lenders rely on information that's coming in and will evaluate the wrong information. You know, banks evaluate the borrower more so than the property, which can get them and has and probably will in the future get them into a lot of trouble when it comes to value, the, the value of the property. Yep. Because if the borrower has good standing, it really has no reflect on how that property is going to do. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Just because they have been able to pay debts in the past, just because they make a lot of money, mm -hmm. just because they drive fancy cars and live in a nice house, doesn't mean that property is worth a lot. We want to make sure it's worth well more than what we're lending. Because if we were to foreclose, we're taking that property back and we need to sell it. And we want to make sure we can sell it for more than we have a loan on it for. Okay. So I know this is one thing that a lot of our listeners are probably wondering. What is loan to cost versus loan to value? And is one more important than the other? Uh, they are different. Uh, is one more important than the other? Probably. Uh, and that probably is loan to cost is probably more important than loan to value. But there are obviously caveats and, and uh, asterisks associated with that. Uh, let's go back to your original question, which is what's what are they and yeah. kind of how they're different. Loan to value and loan to cost are simple math equations. Loan, which is the amount we're lending, divided by either the value of the property or the cost of the property. So let's look at the cost first. Uh, the cost would include everything they've spent out of pocket. Some people just say the cost is the purchase price. Others will put in the carrying costs for the property. Others will add in the, the actual dollars in which the borrower spent to improve the property thus far or entitle the property. Uh, but either way, cost is the amount of money out of pocket by the borrower compared to the amount of money we're lending them. The lower the number, the better, meaning they've spent more money than we have lent. We want to typically lend about 60 cents to every dollar in which they okay. spend. Loan to value is the same math equation, loan divided by the value of the property. The value of the property can be determined in a few different ways. The as-is value, meaning what is that property worth now, and the as-if value. The as-if value is a hypothetical proposition determined by either an appraiser or an underwriter or a broker or some other valuation metrics to determine what the property would be worth if certain things were completed. For example, if we were doing a construction loan, we are 
going to be lending them more money than the property is worth right now because you're building it, right? The apartment building is only worth as much as the cash flows associated with it. If it's just raw land, it's not producing anything and it's worth way less as raw land than it is as a finished product. And so under that circumstance, you would base your loan to value off a hypothetical what if scenario. What if the borrower was to build the asset in which they're looking to build? What would it be worth at that point in time? So if we are doing a development loan, a construction loan, or some sort of rehab loan, nine times out of 10, it'll be a what if scenario. What if it was completed? Um, but if we're doing just an acquisition loan, it will be a as is value. What is it worth today? Okay, that makes sense. And then which one's better? Loan to cost typically is better. Although I do say there is a bit of a caveat with that because let's say you've owned a property in your family for a decade. Um, no, let's take it even further than that. You've owned it for 100 years. Your great grandpa recently died and gave you 100 acres of land that's just south of the Las Vegas Strip. He's owned it for 100 years in the family. He bought it for hundred dollars. Your loan to cost in that right now, or your cost in that is a hundred dollars. Do you think that in any way is indicative of what that property is worth today? Probably not. hundred acres in that on the Las Vegas strip is probably worth a little bit more a little than a hundred dollars. Yeah. And so the, the cost that you have into it is almost irrelevant at that point. The most relevant time that loan to cost matters is on the date in which you uh, originate the loan if it is a purchase loan, if they're buying a project, what are they buying up for? And that is an important number when it comes to loan cost. Okay. What is a current available investment that you personally think is a good one that Ignite Funding is offering? Well, as the person in charge of the underwriting, as the person in charge of putting these deals out there for investors, I don't put a single deal out there that I wouldn't put my own money on. So you ask the question of which one is better. I, I first have to say they're all good. These are all the cream of the crop. These are the top loans that we've been asked to originate and the handpicked ones that we determined are good enough. You heard it here work. first, folks. It's the best. <laughs> it really is. It's really the cream of the crop. I mean, we we decline 80%, 90% of the... Oh, really? Yeah. It's a huge number of, of the deals that come across our desk today, for example. Uh, we have declined four deals and we're doing zero. So we're zero for four today. So those four deals are going to be picked up by a different mortgage broker around the country and are going to be done by somebody, one of our competitors, but they just didn't fit our risk profile. That risk reward just wasn't there on those deals. So we're going to say no. So which ones are the best? I personally believe we have the best. We truly get the cream of the crop because we've been around so long and we have the existing relationships with institutional quality borrowers. But which ones are of the ones we have outstanding right now are the best? You know, I really like that evil can evil deal. A lot, a lot of it has to do with the story that's told and the story that will be told, as well as who's doing that loan. That developer and sponsor here in Las Vegas is one of the top developers, current developers, but he's still pretty young. He, I think, will go down as one of the most important developers here in Las Vegas of this generation. Yeah. Uh, he's doing some really exciting, important, and historic pieces that are going to really stand the test of time. I believe that to be one of them. Another great property that we have available is the uh, the great uh, Grace Development. Yeah, Grace Development out in Colorado Springs. Uh, that is a phenomenal project that they've been involved with for... That area is growing. Tremendously. Yeah. Leaps and bounds. I mean, if you've been down there over the past five years, you've seen the exponential yeah. growth associated with that corridor. 
right across from the, the Air Force Academy, so the Garden of the Gods. Uh, Very beautiful area. Gorgeous. Have you been? Mm-hmm. You have- I lived in Colorado for three years. Oh, you did? So, yeah, I used to go there quite a bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a, a phenomenal area, definitely growing, and one in which I like because, again, the risk to the reward. The risk level is very low compared to the reward, i.e. the interest rate you're getting. The reason it's so low is they've been in this deal for seven years. And so when we're looking at loan to cost and loan to value, we're looking at the cost that they acquired it for seven years ago. Now, I think you and I can both agree the cost to acquire seven years ago is slightly different than the cost to acquire today. Oh, yeah. That property has gone up in value probably 4x during that time. I believe uh, three it. or four times that the, the property uh, is worth more now than it was previously, but we're not giving them the value based, based off what it's worth now. We're giving them the value based off of what it was when it was originated. And so that loan to, to value and loan to cost is quite low. Therefore, the risk to reward is high. And that's what we obviously always look for in, in the investments we originate. So are you personally investing in any of the available investments we have right now? I am. I don't know which one I'm personally on or ones I'm personally on. I believe I have some money on the Evil Knievel okay. loan right now. I know uh, friends and family of mine have money on Grays and the Evil Knievel. I know I have money on the Stillwater Project. I don't know if there's still money open on that. It might close out today. So tell us a little bit about this Evil Knievel project. I've been hearing a lot about it. Yeah, it's a a project down in Arts District of Las Vegas, the up-and-coming area of downtown. It's seen quite a bit of uh, gentrification over the past few years. There's been a lot of money thrown in this area to revitalize and improve just overall ambiance and feel of the area. Yeah, this project. I was down there recently and it's... Getting a lot nicer. It is. It is. So, and, you know, if you talk to old school Vegas locals and you tell them you're doing a project downtown, they'll ask, why in the heck are you doing that? <laughs> and then uh, you ask them the last time they've been down there and they'll all say, oh, it's been a, been a while. And you, you challenge them and say, you should go down there. Check it out. See for yourself. It's not quite what you think it is or remember it to be. It's much different now. It's a much younger crowd. There's tourists that go. There are a lot of locals that go. Their first Friday is a, is a big thing down there. Um, and this is one of the last projects in the heart of the arts district that has not gone through a revitalization effort. Uh, so all the projects, around, most of the projects around it have all been redone, rehabbed, and have new kind of uh, cool tenants, if you will. This project is going to be no different. Uh, our borrower acquired the site in uh, late summer of this year. And we'll be spending the next nine-ish months to work with the city to get a historical preservation designation associated with that project and working with them to uh, get the tenant improvements approved for the ultimate construction of the interior, which will allow for three different tenants. All three will occupy 100% of the building. 50% will go to the Evil Knievel Museum, which will be moving from Topeka, Kansas to here in Las Vegas. Another one, another tenant is Ace Cafe, which uh, I'm sure 99.99% of the people listening to this podcast uh, probably never heard of them, but I would uh, urge you to look them up. They've been around for almost 100 years, have locations all across the world, only one here in the United States. This will be their second location. 
Very cool. They are kind of a biker bar type of organization, I guess I would call it, but a very unique uh, synergetic tenant when you look at the Evil Knievel Museum. Same type of uh, person would want to go to that. And the other part of the the property is leased up by Heavy Metal Pizza, which is a pizza concept owned by a gentleman here out of Las Vegas that currently owns a property called uh, Evil Pie which is an evil Knievel themed pizzeria. Did you so, say heavy metal pizza? That's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> heavy metal pizza. Yeah. Wow. Oh, heavy metal pizzeria, I guess, wow. is actually what it's called. But it's owned by the gentleman that currently owns Evil Pie, which is an evil Knievel inspired pizzeria on Fremont Street, which is kind of the east side of downtown Las Vegas. Same type of clientele and same type of tenant that will be going into this new project that has already had tremendous success in downtown Las Vegas. So it's 100% released, reducing risk. It is done by a borrower that has done work on historic buildings, reducing risk. It is done by a sponsor that has done 15, 20 of these type of projects here in Las Vegas, reducing risk. It is one that is already approved by the city, reducing risk. One in which we already have the title insurance for, property insurance for, which will obviously reduce risk and one in which it has the full capital stack already allocated to the project, which reduces the risk. Uh, we lent five, roughly $5 million for a $7.5 million purchase. Uh, it will cost them about $10 million in total to get the property uh, to a position where they can actually start rehabbing and doing the tenant improvement work. All $10 million have already been allocated to this project. So we are lending $5 million and they have $5 million in their bank account ready to go on this project. 50% loan to future costs, but those dollars are already sitting there in the bank. Every penny that they will need to get this project to a position where they can pay us off has already been allocated to the site, which again, reduces the risk. So when you're looking at risk to reward, that's why I, I prefer this one. There's a trending pattern here. Lots of reduced risk. That's the name of the game, right? That's Yeah, underwriting. that's underwriting. So if someone were to want to get on this specific loan, how would they do that? I would recommend just going to the website. Yeah. Our, our website will have a, quite a bit of information in regards to it. If they want to, to hear it directly from somebody, dial us up, talk to one of the investment advisors here at Ignite Funding. They have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the type of projects and more specifically this project that uh, will, they'll be able to answer any questions you may have. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today on Deeds in the Desert. Absolutely. Next week, we are going to have Pat back again with our Chief Compliance Officer, Misty Bethany, who is very knowledgeable about all things trustee investing. And they will be back discussing forbearance agreements in depth. So if that's something you're interested in or don't know anything about and want to get a little taste of that, listen in next week for Barron's Agreements with Pat and Misty. And I will be here again hosting. My name is Maddie. And thank you again for listening. We will see you next week on Deeds in the Desert. Thanks for joining us this week on Deeds in the Desert where short-term investments meet long-term investors. We hope you enjoyed the content so much that you share it with all your friends. Who doesn't like learning about passive fixed income, right? Still hungry for more education? Visit our website at ignitefunding.com. 
or if you're ready to take the leap and start investing, give us a call at 702-761-0000 and schedule a free investor consultation. 